Welcome to Be Ye Hearers. It's a podcast of St. James's Episcopal Church in Richmond, Virginia. We're in the Happy New Year phase, but we're still listening to the Christmas story, aren't we? So let me continue with that theme a little bit this morning. When I was traveling in the Holy Land some years ago, I was surprised to find that the most intact ruins, the ones that still remain after more than two millennia, were constructed by Herod the Great, who was crowned king of Judea in 37 BC. He is a most fascinating character, I think. His name actually means hero, and he was a skilled diplomat and an accomplished military tactician. In economic terms, he was a skillful leader. Following the Creek tradition, he built some magnificent structures in Judea. He built a whole city on the shore of the Mediterranean called Caesarea Maritania in honor of Caesar Augustus, which became an important trading and military crossroads. He built several palaces, if you will, such as the Herodium just south of Bethlehem, which covered the entire top of a mountain. Some archaeologists believe that Herod was buried there. He also built the fortress palace called Masada, overlooking the Dead Sea. It was an almost impregnable fortress, but had all the comforts of a Roman palace, including steam baths. The most impressive of all of Herod's construction projects, however, was the temple in Jerusalem. The western wall and platform on which the ancient temple stood are still there today. The pieces of granite that went into the building of that temple are absolutely massive. They must have taken hundreds of people to put even one of them in place, and he did it during his time as leader. Herod employed laborers and artisans from around Jerusalem to accomplish this project, which meant that there was the assurance of employment for the people of Israel throughout the construction period. Building and maintaining the temple was a large part of the economy of his time. But he also provided for the people entertainment. Herod erected erected a theater in Jerusalem and a Colosseum just outside the walls for sporting events. In many ways, Herod the Great could be considered a forward-looking and skillful leader. But there was a dark side to him as well. There was something about him that was twisted on the inside. Overshadowing his many admirable traits were a few disturbing ones. Despite having as complete control as one might have as king, he was absolutely paranoid that his position was going to be usurped. He had an autocratic and tyrannical personality which erupted in murderous ferocity against anyone who opposed his will. He systematically removed anyone who could be a potential threat to his authority. He had the high priest of Israel drowned in the swimming pool at Masada. 
He accused his wife of infidelity and had her put to death with, her, with his stepchildren. Eventually, he had some of his closest friends and advisors murdered for fear that they might turn against him. So feared and hated was he by the people, he was afraid that no one would mourn for him at his funeral when he did die. So he issued instructions that a number of prominent citizens were to be killed when he died so that he would have the assurance that there would be great mourning and sadness throughout the land. What kind of a man would do that? But this is the political backdrop to today's lesson from the Gospel of Matthew. Wise men had already come from the east to confer with Herod. They wanted to know where the new king of Judea was to be born. Herod has no definite information for them, but we can imagine that when he heard that there was someone else who was to take his place as king, he probably went into a dark rage. What? He might have ranted, a child to take my throne? We'll just see about that. And he dispatched a company of soldiers to kill all the newborn male children so as not to miss the newborn Jesus. And the holy baby's father is visited in a dream by an angel that warns him to flee quickly with his family into Egypt because of Herod's murderous, murderous wrath. So soon after the birth of their child that was attended by angels and proclamations of joy, Joseph and Mary now find themselves to be refugees, running for their lives and for the life of their child, Jesus. I sometimes wonder if we are not more like Herod in our own daily living, grasping at power and prestige than we are like Joseph and Mary, displaying godly humility and listening to dreams for our guidance. That's a note to ponder. But with this story from Matthew's gospel, we see clearly that the Christmas story is not merely a quaint and enduring, endearing and winsome story of the birth of a young, a, a little baby. The joyful account of the birth of Jesus is placed back to back against the story of death and destruction, of violence and murder. We American Christians have a hard time understanding the full impact of this because despite of all its problems, we live in a, by and large, in a law-abiding society. It is in the places where there is civil war and genocide, where there's unmitigated violence and life is unfair and perilous that this story can truly be appreciated. So what does it mean for us that God has lit a light in the darkness, as we say in the Christmas Day gospel? A light shined in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. What does it mean that there is a light that the Herods of the world will try to extinguish but never will be able to completely overcome it? We do know what injustice and darkness is about. Though we have not been political refugees, we do know about the depths of human sin and the anguish that one human being can cause another. 
We have seen injustices and tyrannical behavior that keeps one enslaved. We must deal with that darkness in some way. It is precisely this darkness that Jesus came into the world to overcome. God has set up residence right in the middle of the darkness of our world. If we have the light of Christ in our lives, we need, need not fear the darkness which is all around us. Some years ago now, Susan and I had the delight of meeting the Archbishop of Canterbury, George Carey, at a conference in Canuga in North Carolina. We spent a week with him and he shared much wisdom. But one of his remarks I will always remember was about Christmas. George Carey said, because of Christmas, we can no longer consider God something to debate, but someone to follow. If you follow the babe in Bethlehem as the Christmas story shares, you will find God. This is the essence of the Christmas story. We recognize that there is the darkness of the human sin of the, in the world, and without a Savior, we would be lost. But the power of God is stronger than the power of all the Herods in the world. Despite the violence and the slaughter of all the holy innocents throughout the world, it cannot be denied. The kingdom which was opened with the birth of a baby in Bethlehem is a kingdom that is coming to fruition. And no Herod, no personal circumstance, no pandemic, no economic downturn, no evil purpose can prevent its eventual blossoming. As we enter this new year, 2022, we realize that the future is in God's hands, not ours, but we are in God's hands too. Amen. Thank you for listening to Be Ye Hears. For our full worship service, go to doers.org slash live. To learn more about St. James's, go to doers.org. We hope you've been touched by the Holy Spirit today. We look forward to being your companion on your spiritual journey.